Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Um, Joe, great to be able to catch up with you and, um, and to be in this longer conversation format. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah, great to thank be with you. you today, Catherine. And, and certainly a lot to discuss, um, you know, from the world and COVID and how you see it. But I also want to just kind of, you know, start with what you've been doing most recently and in amongst COVID, launching a, a new brand and a partnership with Toys R Us Canada, uh, Rise Little Earthling, which is just the sweetest little name. Um, but give us, a, give us a bit of a backdrop in terms of how this came to be. Yeah. So uh, uh, Vic Bertrand, who's the CEO of Toys R Us, uh, called me up about now 14 months ago, just before COVID. Uh, actually, it was more than 14 months, 18 months now, I guess. And said, you know, uh, I've just taken over at the helm of Toys R Us. Uh, why don't we have lunch? Uh, we had lunch uh, just... Uh, uh, around the corner from our of my office, and uh, he started talking about his vision, which was very exciting, and how he was going to reposition Toys R Us and the challenge uh, of being in the toy business and uh, the, the, the you know the competitive set. And he was uh, mentioning how unhappy he was with the apparel assortment within Toys R Us, mm -hmm. and so uh, one thing led to another. And I said, well, let me have a look at it uh, and I'll get, you know, let me get back to you with some ideas and uh, looked at it, uh, love the opportunity, love their positioning in the baby space, uh, babies are us and, and uh, that, you know, where their position in babies, I think is fantastic. I also thought that uh, his vision for expansion uh, within the stores and how he could uh, create a whole new idea, you know, he called it, I think it was the, I think it was his, his vision is the happy, the happy store and uh, how he was going to bring new concepts and, uh, and how he's going to change many of the locations and do uh, specialized, uh, specialized offerings. And, um, and so one thing led to another, we, uh, I love creating a brand. There's nothing more fun than uh, creating a brand from scratch. Um, and being able to, you know, you're given a clean slate and, you know, the deal we made was you take it over, it's yours, make it happen. And I think that always excites me when I can go in and not be sort of, uh, a part of a, you know, part of other brands and other stories, but really to, to come in and, and be able to shape, uh, the brand in a, in a unique way. And what, was, uh, what I saw in the marketplace at the time was this move towards uh, social consciousness, uh, the environment, um, and that there was uh, a movement with consumers that they wanted to vote with their wallets as much as uh, you know, price and, and taste. And so we uh, started the brand uh, with that premise. The premise was, you know, uh, 
organic. So the line is 95% organic. Uh, we started with little things like the hanger, which is a completely recyclable hanger. It's, oh. it's kind of a, a bugaboo of mine. You know, the, the hanger is symbolic of the brand because when you take a look at the hanger, I have a hanger mm -hmm. here I can just show you quickly. Oh, but good. this little hanger is made of uh, recycled materials. It's, it's complete uh, card stock and it can go right back uh, into the environment. But what's really nice uh, about this is that it cuts out all that plastic that you would normally see in popular priced product. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's not a big deal, but it is really a symbolic, uh, a symbolic gesture. I think, I think the other, uh, the other thing we did was we looked at our graphics in a very different way. We created these monsters. We have, we have a cast of monsters <laughs> that are all, they're all social, uh, they're all social warriors. And what's really interesting about them is that each one is a champion in their area. So we've got a Cosmo uh, okay. who appears, he's our, uh, our dot. So Cosmo, oh. when you look very, very closely, there's Cosmo, he's a carbon eater. Oh, uh, <laughs> he's cute. Yes, he's so he's super cute. He eats carbon and that's what he does. We have Sydney, who's the uh, celebrator of differences and, uh, you know, true to himself. He's great listener, thoughtful. Uh, we've got uh, we've got him somewhere on here. Oh, yes. Uh, there. Where's Sydney? There's Sydney there on a little surfboard. We've got him on a little surfboard surfing and wow. uh yeah, and so we created all these different monsters, and each one, uh, each one has something it wants to talk about. Um, and we took it further. We we created a, all of these podcasts uh, mm. of affirmations. So, and it was our give back to moms and and parents. Um, and the affirmations was uh, it was narrated by the Canadian music star Lights. And uh, just beautifully done. It's uh, four minutes each. Each uh, each affirmation podcast is four minutes. It's meant to be shared with your with your child, and it really talks about all of the different ways of looking at yourself and of thinking of the world and how you can make the world a better place. Hmm. Um, and so today, in my view, brands are more than just product. As important as product is to me. It's also about storytelling and all of the different stories that you can tell through a brand. Mm -hmm. And that's really what truly resonates with consumers today. But the product itself, I mean, we've got, uh, we've got beautiful, uh, the product is stunning in that, uh, the hand feel of the product. Like mm -hmm. if you touch this uh, for the price, uh, an all organic piece, um, really quite amazing. Um, uh, and, it, and it's very indie in the way that we've picked colors. The color story is, uh, is, is uh, gender neutral for the most part as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we've put a lot of thought and uh, a lot of energy into bringing something to market that I think is going to be really uh, unique and is going to resonate with the consumer. Yes, it sounds uh, so amazing. And to your point about the storytelling, I just I love even just hearing what I heard over the past couple of minutes. Um, and, you know, Joe, it's just amazing, though, because, you know, I think most people recognize you as an icon in this world. 
Um, and there's so many people out there who want to have a successful brand and, and quite frankly, never quite get there. And you've been doing it for, I think it's 36 years. Yes, too <laughs> and, long. And I'm the, I know, and I'm the era of Club Monaco, oh, yes. um, which I loved and love still. And um, so, you know, I, I think I'm hearing why you've been successful, but um, maybe give us a little bit more granularity to somebody starting a brand brand sure. today. Yeah, I think, you know, if I can, if I can reel back to when I first started, um, a lot of people don't know this, and I always hate to admit it, but I started as a chartered accountant. And, oh. uh, and I practiced for uh, the years, two years to, to get my designation. And I walked into the partner's office and I said, I'm leaving, I'm going into the fashion business. And he mm -hmm. said, no, no, you've got a great future here. Um, anyway, we went out, we started, a, we started a business with my brother and my mother, uh, who was a couturier, and we started making dresses. Um, and I learned very, very quickly uh, within the first six months that really you had to be a brand in order to succeed, it, all the power was with either the retailers or the brands at that time, and um, and so we went down to we went down to New York to bring in uh, a brand. We we're going to license a brand, which is what all Canadians did. We were going to manufacture it here in Canada. We met with Oscar De La Renta, and uh, we wanted his brand for Canada. They, he said fine. We had contracts drawn up, and then uh, last moment. And this is where being naive, and I, and I always talk to entrepreneurs about this, follow your heart, follow your dreams. We said, why are we licensing a brand? Why don't we create a brand? And why don't we become the licensors? Mm -hmm. And so we went out, hired a designer. We're going to make you famous. We're going to make you a brand. She quit within three months. Uh, she said she got a better offer. Then we brought in Alfred Sung. We said, look, we're going to make you famous. And within three years, uh, he hit the cover of uh, McLean's magazine as the king of fashion. The, everything about what we did, though, was about integrity of product, integrity of brand, hitting the market at the right time. Women were going into the workforce. They needed uh, sportswear at the time. Um, and, and it was really important that we, we hit the consumer exactly where we needed to be. I see too many times I see entrepreneurs who really don't, um, uh, they have a great idea, but they don't always match it up against the consumer. They don't always test their idea enough to ensure that there is a customer for what they want to produce. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then they spend a lot of time uh, trying to get to market. And the, and the other aspect of it is that in building brands and particularly on the consumer side, there's many elements that go into it. And I think, I think what's really critical is just finding that seam in the marketplace and really going after it and understanding what the consumer truly wants at a point in time. And, and it always changes mm -hmm. um, and it always evolves. And what's old is new and what's new is old. Um, I always go back. I love, I love this one, which is, you know, if the Woolworths five and dime stores had just lasted a little longer, they could have been the Dollaramas of today. Um, you know, it, it, when we first started Club Monaco, uh, what we did at the time was we went direct to consumer uh, at a retail level, direct to consumer, we cut out wholesale. 
a lot of people don't remember, but back then, every store was a multi-branded store. There was no such thing as a vertical store. Gap was called Generation Gap in 1985, and they were yeah. selling Levi jeans and other brands. So it was, it was highly unusual at the time to go direct from manufacturing, which is kind of where, where I cut my teeth on manufacturing, to consumer. And we actually got there by accident because we started the concept, Clamonico. We went to the major retailers. We went to Eaton's. We went at the time, we went to the Bay. We went to a bunch of them and said, look, you know, we've come up with this new concept and it's like uh, unisex and it's really cool. And, um, and they looked at it and they said, well, we don't, we don't get it. And we don't understand it. But now there was a problem. I had already ordered all the goods. They were all coming. They were all on the water. <laughs> and so uh, we decided to go direct to consumer at the time. And, and that's how really it was born, um, which, which also talks to if you really have something great and you pivot and you find a way to make it happen. And, and again, I see this with entrepreneurs, the good entrepreneurs really understand how to make those pivots and how to um, how to deal with uh, the adversity that comes up. And that's why it's better to, to bet on the jockey as opposed to the horse. Uh, to, to make the pivot, <laughs> right? Right, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I'm wondering as well, though, you know, the fact that you had to pivot so quickly and, um, and go to the storefront opportunity, yeah. Um, the the feel of that store of a Club Monaco store felt great. I mean, it yeah. felt clean. It felt new. It felt you wanted to go in there. I know in reading that you know there was lineups, um, but That's to right. be able to to make that happen so quickly when you think of how long people spend on on making a store concept. I actually used to cover equity uh, retail uh, at yeah. William Blair Equity Research. Um, to, to get that concept right normally takes, I think, a lot of time. So what was that time? It must have been a very short time frame. It, yeah, it was unbelievably short, number one. Number two, we had enough product to fill more than one store. So we had to open multiple stores at the same time mm -hmm. to make it even more complicated. And because the brand was, a, it was brand new, there was no footfall that we could count on. Um, and we couldn't get into the major malls. We were kind of going a little off off uh, pitch, as it's called. Mm -hmm. um, and so we put in a very, very uh, aggressive uh, marketing campaign, a very aggressive marketing campaign where we mm. spent a lot of money. And I think part of that as well is the ability to deal with all of it financially. Um, and dealing with your banks and getting them comfortable. And, um, and because all of a sudden you're going from, you know, asset lending to cash flow lending, which is a very different, uh, very different situation and having to get our bank on side at the time. Um, and uh, we weren't with the Schedule A bank, we were with factors and, and trying mm -hmm. to get them comfortable was not easy at the time, but we did it all. Uh, mm -hmm. We opened and, Yes, there were lineups for there were lineups for years, uh, but the way we did it really was um, again skunk work teams uh, able to get great great people within our org at the time mm -hmm. uh, to work on the project, and even in any of these projects that we're working on today, uh, you know, Rise Little Earthling is 
is one where, again, I'm working with people I've worked with for many years. Uh, they, they love to come aboard. They love uh, the challenge of a new, a new brand. And, um, mm -hmm. and so I'm very fortunate to be able to call on, you know, a bunch of uh, people that uh, have done it before. And uh, we work really well as a team. But Joe, going back to when you first started, I mean, to be able to um, really determine who's going to be someone great to work with, you know, I think that that's one of the most difficult skills or difficult aspects to, to get right. I've been there myself actually once thinking that, you know, if, if you're going to put in 150%, so of course everybody else would, but that's not always the case so, no, it's at not. all. How do you, you, so you must have a skill set there or one of your family members does. What, who, who has that and what is it? Well, um, I think uh, one of the one of the fortunate things uh, for me is, um, you know, I do always have good operating partners that I work with. Uh, one, um, I think, I think it's about how to motivate uh, a team. How do you motivate? So, I I use another example. I, I'm I I get so excited about product and about attacking the market and imagery and imaging and your environment and how you put something together that hmm. I think it becomes infectious. Um, now, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to put in the 120%. And that's okay. I get that. We got C players, we got B players, we got D players, we got, and we got some A players. And it's just about, um, making everybody feel like they are part owners in the business and that they are working towards this end goal that they can really see. And I think crafting a vision for a brand is super important because then when you have that vision and you can communicate it very clearly as to where it's going and where you are going as a brand, mm -hmm. people buy in, they opt in, they buy in, and then they, they can then communicate it very clearly to others and that's really mm. and so to that to that extent um uh we we would do things like you know i'd cut people's hair i would dress them today i wouldn't be able to get away with it but back <laughs> then but back then uh and anything i could do that would clearly tell the consumer who we are what we are and tell the rest of the team this is who we are. This is what we are. This is what we believe in. These are our aesthetics. These are mm -hmm. our uh, these are our goals. I think I think that motivates, and I think uh, then then you know you you can you can. I always say you take C players, you turn them into A players, and and great teams that win are teams not made up of just superstars, but they're made up of a group of people that have a common goal and that can work together extremely well and make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in, in a way, you're a bit of a coach, you're a bit of a director, um, you bring together, uh, you mm. bring together a group and you create some magic. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this. I am segueing a little bit here, but I think it's something that is always on my mind. Um, when I think about all the successful people I've been able to work with, um, you know, Goldman Sachs and William Blair and Deutsche Bank and, you know, in the news world as well, um, and, and meeting some of the, you know, really great money managers, uh, how they manage their life. So when you're the coach, the director, the producer, the everything, 
Um, how, what, what do you, what, what's your personal, um, day like, like, do you get up at six and do the yoga or you do something? I know that I'm not wrong. Am I? <laughs> well, you know, you have to eat really well. Cause if you, if you don't eat well, you don't have the energy level. So, um, I've been a big believer in juicing, uh, for a long, long time. And, uh, I find that during the day, uh, I usually will juice at lunchtime. Uh, I start with a very, very, very uh, uh, easy diet uh, in the morning, which is, you know, blueberries, yogurt, and a coffee, very strong coffee. <laughs> and then I go, I have a green juice at lunch, and that's it. And that takes me right to my uh, martini at uh, 630. So <laughs> uh, that's, and, and I'm very lucky. I've got a wonderful wife and great kids and yeah uh they've always been highly highly supportive and and uh kim who's in the business uh understands the you know the passion you need and the time you and energy you need to put into the industry mm -hmm. in order to be successful so yeah well thank you for that I, I mean i i think it's really important because when i think about sometimes when i go and speak to young women about starting a career in finance or whatever and, and it is exhausting my number one thing is you know the how you eat and, and getting oh, the sleep huge and, and it's your relationships huge. have to be healthy. All of them. All of them. Yeah. 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 Otherwise it's very difficult. Otherwise it's very difficult and healthy relationships with your, with your partners, um, your business partners, your staff, mm -hmm. um, all the people you interact with, uh, the press, the, yeah. uh, your banks, your, you know, um, try and leave a positive trail behind you and mm -hmm. uh, positive energy and it comes it comes it comes back to you so mm -hmm. you know it's something that i work on and and i i feel very very fortunate you know i uh, we've created a lot of different brands we have a brand with staples uh, it's called gray matter uh, 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 by Joe Mimran and it's at staples and uh, i started consulting to them a few years ago Hmm. Uh, in the U.S., and um, they asked me to help them with their branding, sourcing, um, and product design. We we designed a whole bunch of brands for them and products. And I said, I want. Here's my deal, though. I want one brand that's uh, that's my brand, and that uh, we can distribute throughout uh, throughout your uh, your stores and in uh, e-commerce in Canada okay. and the U.S. Yeah. And they've been amazing. Um, yeah. That's an amazing company on the move. Um, it's uh, the executive chair is John Letter, who was at Loblaws for many years as the CEO. Uh, the president here in Toronto's David Boone. He's done a tremendous job in repositioning the business here in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and they've gone from being a big box retailer to being, uh, being the working, learning, growing company. Uh, again, repositioning, telling the story of who they are, why they exist, what they do uh, with a lot of passion. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, again, I, you know, to be part of another uh, great retail group uh, has been has been a lot of fun. So. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking of retail, let's, let's get your take now in terms of what's been going on over the past more than 15 yeah. months as it relates to COVID and the impact on retail. How do, how do you see it? Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, I, I think you can't talk about retail without talking about what's happened on the e-commerce side um, of the equation, because for some businesses, it's been a boon. Um, even though they've had to close their physical stores, what has happened is 
for some brands, and I know a bunch of them specifically, uh, their business has actually skyrocketed without the fixed cost of stores. Um, and so uh, we've seen that. We've seen many people hurt terribly. Uh, the ones that have fixed rents and they just cannot get out of them, can't renegotiate them. Those uh, have had to reorganize through double C double A, um, and they've had to, you know, escape their um, escape their commitments that way. Um, the big box guys, I think, have done incredibly well. Uh, they've been very fortunate that uh, legislation has wiped out competition. So, in one sense, uh, they are really the big winners uh, out of all of this. Uh, uh, people do shop. Uh, it, it, shopping is a very habitual uh, experience. And once you get somebody to turn right instead of left, mm. it's very, very hard to, you know, to change those habits. Um, and we know that e-commerce now has advanced by five to seven years in terms of acceleration and adoption. Uh, people, older people who were never on e-commerce uh, before, they didn't find they weren't comfortable with it now have all adopted it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think you're going to see uh, physical stores continue to be under pressure going forward. I think you're going to get an initial blip. Um, because I think there will be that, uh, that, that, uh, effect of getting out and, and celebrating and, uh, sort of the roaring twenties effect. Um, I, I do, I do think though, that retailers that have, again, something to say physically that's unique and different and a reason to be, I think will continue to perform. I think brands that are, uh, are, are stronger in e-commerce will look to stores in order to uh, uh, get new customers in a much cheaper way. It is mm -hmm. so expensive now to, uh, to get new customers uh, through e-commerce today, much more than it was. That's why you're seeing many native e-commerce brands moving into physical stores. Mm. Um, that, that was a trend certainly before COVID uh, that was happening, and it was really because of the cost of uh, of, of, of attracting new customers, much cheaper. I mean, you can go to a mall, a triple A AAA mall, and uh, you will have uh, you you'll have far more traffic in one day than than you will than and, and at at the you know per per head cost than it would be to try to uh, track them uh, um, online. So I think I think you're going to see a shakeup there. I still think we are going to continue to contract, um, and we will we will uh, go from the 1,500 malls in America down to about a thousand, hmm. um, maybe slightly less. So there's still a lot of contraction. I believe will come. I think irrelevant retailers are going to, and and a lot of them are, um, uh, you know, they're they're sizing down um, department stores. Um, um, you know, the, the few that are standing, I think, still have a big opportunity to do something special. Hmm. Um, what could they because, do? What could they do? Well, I think, first of all, uh, what they have, which people don't realize and which was seen in the uh, in what Saks did in the United States when Saks sold their e-commerce, they sold 25 percent of, of their e-commerce business for 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 a pretty big price they have an incredible customer database um, that is 
that they can really, uh, you know, the cost of that for any other e-commerce business would be enormous to try and achieve. And now they're moving into being a marketplace. Um, and as a marketplace, uh, their valuation just will can, can go up quite dramatically. And, and then as their store base starts to decrease, they can start to do more and more exciting things within the uh, stores that they do have. And their e-commerce piece will, uh, I think, continue to grow in value as they figure out what they're gonna do with, with the physical stores. Hmm. Um, so I, I, I do believe that they're continuing, the ones that are left are continuing to innovate. And I think that's gonna be really interesting. This whole idea of entertainment in stores, the idea of restaurants and different types of boutiques. And um, and again, it's about trying to find, people will be hungry for a social experience. And I think if you can deliver that to the customer, okay. I think, um, and, and I think the smart ones will figure out how to deliver that to the customers and, and will take advantage of uh, people wanting to get out and, and be social. There's a group of stores, uh, which is owned by Michael Cole, who's, who flies under the radar here in Canada. And he owns, I don't know, I'm a thousand stores or whatever, and, and performing incredibly well. Uh, and, and he's figured it out. He's got, he's got the key to success uh, when it comes to physical stores. And so there's always a winner. There's always a loser. It's yeah. ever-changing landscape. For, for retail, for consumer products. Uh, we're seeing a big trend right now in circular economy. People are very interested in uh, secondhand clothes. They're very interested in uh, vintage bags. We're involved in a business, uh, LXR, which, uh, which uh, one of my business partners, Cam DePrado, runs now. Um, and, and that is, uh, you know, his business, e-commerce is, is growing. Uh, dramatically, uh, and people are very interested in, you know, vintage handbags and, and uh, wanting to purchase uh, mm -hmm. without the guilt of adding yet another <laughs> zero consumer product. Yeah, zero oh. waste. Uh, yeah, zero exactly. Waste, right? Zero waste. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I love consignment buying. Oh, love yeah. it. Uh, yeah. It's uh, when you look at real, real, uh, you know, their biggest problem right now is just getting product um, and having enough product to, to fill the fill the demand yeah um, and again a completely new model I mean that that model was created less than 10 years ago um, you know vintage stores was really the purview of designers designers were the ones that went into vintage stores for inspiration mm. you know musty old clothes uh, I used to go uh, into uh, vintage warehouses in England or in Italy and you'd look at old military clothes or whatever uh, for inspiration. But um, today it's, uh, it's absolutely, um, um, you know, really, really uh, a powerful business model, a rent the runway, uh, another mm -hmm. one. Um, and it all stems from, you know, I always say to be a fashion designer, fashion uh, follower, you have to be a sociologist. You know, you have to understand where society has been, where it's going. Mm -hmm. it, it is a real reflection of what trends you should be jumping on. Um, you know, some somebody will say, "Oh well, the sneaker trend was a what the sneaker was a fad." Well, you know, sneakers came in in the seventies, uh, <laughs> and it, and if you look at where they are today, 
um, you know, these are long-term trends that are really, really important uh, for consumers to understand. Uh, for sorry, for for business people to understand, and 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 to to figure out um, as a sociologist, how do I how do I uh, how do I serve that uh, how do I serve that need? Absolutely, I was I was going to ask you as well. I mean, what are what are what do you see going on? with psychology today in terms of what might be the next trend? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've been talking about it. I do think it's all about uh, voting with your wallet, I think, uh, on social issues. I think, um, um, I think influencers are the, you know, it's a new way of marketing. Um, marketing has become far more complex than it has ever been. It used to be a time where you know, it was, it was actually quite easy. Uh, you'd buy billboards, you'd buy bus shelters, you'd buy, <clears throat> you'd do a deal with Condé Nast and uh, boom, uh, you have an instant brand if you've got the money. Um, to, today, uh, you have to talk to your consumer in so many multiple ways and so many different platforms. You have to come from a place of integrity. You have to uh, mean what you say. Uh, you have to be transparent in how you uh, do business. Um, I mean, it is so much more complex. And, and yet, it is probably easier for an entrepreneur today to get into business uh, because all they need is a laptop and uh, you, can you can source from anywhere in the world. Uh, open sourcing is there. Uh, you can ship from anywhere in the world. There's no... Uh, regulations really that you have to deal with. And so you could be a competitor uh, overnight. Um, and uh, it used to be, I used to always say in the fashion business, I, I, had, I had, my competitor was anybody with a sewing machine. Today, my competitor is anybody with a laptop or an iPhone. And, wow. uh, and, and that's, that's really where it's gone. It's, it's that competitive the market, but also that big an opportunity for anybody who wants to get into it. But, you know, that's pretty amazing, um, you know, in this going back to what you said, and, and then also, of course, bring technology into it, which is that it's it sounds like it's so costly to acquire a customer, a consumer via Instagram or Facebook or what have you. I don't think a lot of people actually know that, uh, that the costs yeah. have increased so much that you're almost better off to have a bricks and mortar. I mean, it, and I get so many ads on Instagram and so what you're telling me, and they're, they're for cheaper versions of things, which I love, I'm a value buyer, um, but, uh, but you're telling me that they cost a lot to get that ad to me? Absolutely, absolutely. It's very, very, it's very, very costly. Uh, everybody thinks that they can just, and I see this all the time with entrepreneurs, they, you know, they, they, they open up their website, they put some product on there and they think, oh, well, you know, it's just gonna happen. Uh, no, uh, you, you better get a real marketing campaign going. You better spend some real money in order to attract customers to your site and to be able to sell product, unless you have something unbelievably unique uh, that everybody is you know, clamoring for. But you know, to get on that front page of Amazon or to get on that you know, uh, SEO search, top of that SEO search, it takes money. It takes either real ingenuity and real uniqueness, or it takes a lot of money. Um, yeah. And um, and today, like I said, there's more and more and more competition. 
I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to scare any uh, budding entrepreneurs mm-hmm. because I, I, I would rather be an entrepreneur today than 30 years ago. I think there's mm-hmm. way more opportunity today than there ever was. I just think the competition is, is great, <laughs> uh, but the opportunity is, is massive. Why do you say that? And what do you mean by it? Well, I mean that, uh, first of all, uh, capital markets, uh, capital is much more fluid today than it's ever been. Uh, Imagine how many ways you can raise capital today. Imagine private equity today versus where we were 30 years ago. Uh, In the Canadian marketplace, there was no way you could finance a fashion business in Canada. This just wouldn't, could could not happen. Um, We were the first fashion company to go public in 1980, I think it was 86, I can't remember, 87, 87. Uh, we couldn't even show pictures. We, oh, we no, we got an exemption. We were able to show pictures in our, uh, in our uh, uh, presentation, mm-hmm. um, uh, prospectus. Uh, we, got, we got a special exemption because we were a fashion business. But, uh, but it's amazing the difference today like you can you can raise money on kickstarter you can raise money on there's so many different platforms you can raise money in advance there's so many uh, private equity groups you can go to to you know to to raise mm-hmm. money it just it's it's uh it's a much better time to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and you can be mobile uh, borders don't mean anything as i was saying earlier and mm-hmm. um you can be totally mobile you don't mm-hmm. have you don't have to get on an airplane to get anywhere. What, what about the demand, though, the end demand? And going back to something you said in terms of really understanding and going after the market, um, is there a size that comes to mind? Like, do you always have kind of a number in terms of the size when you're thinking of whatever it is you're creating? Yes. Um, so for, for me, I, I love, that's why I love these distribution um, deals you know it, it, uh, i did uh, i did consulting for kroger for example uh, mm. uh just i finished uh, our my contract with them last year uh, i was consulting with them for four years on how to uh, how they should structure their apparel uh, business within within kroger kroger is the largest food retailer as you know in in the world they do 120 billion a year um and so, you know, we went in there and, and we helped them with that. And the buying power you have uh, as a Kroger with that number of stores is, is just, it's just fantastic. Uh, you know, Staples has wonderful buying power. Uh, Toys R Us has a good buying power. You know, these mm-hmm. are, there's, there's built-in distribution. So uh, I personally like those types of arrangements because it gives you the instant buying power you need when you're building from scratch um again you you know you you have to build you have to build to get to a certain critical mass and that's where a lot of people also stumble right out of the gate is that they can't hit those minimums and if you don't get the minimums you can't get the pricing and so you're it's a vicious circle for uh for for an entrepreneur mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, you have to understand your market. You have to understand how much you can sell of something, uh, whether it's a, a weighted blanket. Uh, I got a call from somebody the other day who said, you know, I'm, I'm in the weighted blanket business and I'm doing X amount of volume. And well, that's fantastic. Single, you know, single item. It's a nice little lifestyle business, but it won't be a $300 million a year business because you just don't, can't sell that many weighted blankets. 
but 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 they could do well. They can, you know, they can. They've got a nice little uh, nice little uh, e-commerce business. They can take home a couple hundred thousand yeah. at the end of the year, and you know, they're happy. Yeah, but I have two of those blankets. <laughs> do you? Good. I do. So they're wonderful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I can appreciate the size of, of the market. Um, just to kind of wrap up a little bit and, and kind of talk about um, things that uh, would inspire viewers and, and listeners. I, I want some of these conversations to be a little bit on the aspirational and, and inspirational side. I mean, we've gotten a lot yeah. of that from you already, just because I think it's your being. Um, mm -hmm. But but what do you what are kind of some of those words of wisdom you like to pass on and share? I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll go back to Rise Little Earthling. I think, I think uh, you know, a world where you lead with kindness is really important. I think kindness is an operative word today. Um, I think we are, you know, we've gone through a very difficult time as a society. I think we've got to be very sensitive to the people around us, how they want to work. Um, you know, they're their needs at home, um, raising kids over the last year and a half has been really tough for a lot of parents. Uh, I think we have to be very understanding of that. And I think, I think we have to be more tolerant of each other. Um, and, and, uh, we have to be careful not to tear each other apart. I think that is to me really, uh, a world that I don't want to live in. Uh, mm -hmm. if that's how we think about things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, just just try and create a beautiful environment around around yourself. Uh, you know, even when you're working at home, uh, just, just try and find ways to uh, inspire yourself, uh, whether it's doing things you've never challenged yourself to do before, or it's just, uh, you know, creating... I, I love to create an environment where... Um, I feel good. It, it smells good. It's clean. Yeah. <laughs> it's organized. Um, you know, these are things that uh, some people, um, you know, we, we take for granted uh, that everybody does that, but not everybody knows how to do that. And I think, mm -hmm. I think we need to help people sort of live a better life, uh, live a more inspired life. Um, these are all things I'm interested in. And um, you know, mm -hmm. would love to uh, just keep just keep doing uh, mm -hmm. and designing beautiful things. Design matters, so um, that's what I. That's my. That's the core of uh, my philosophy, and and being kind. If if people can, just bear that in mind. I love that, um, Joe. We will leave it on that note. Thank you so much, as always, yes, for our conversations. Catherine, great to be here with you today.